So when I got to St. Effects in 2003, X had had a long history of winning, but that period of time was kind of like after the back-to-back -back championships, they went through a dry spell because obviously guys like Fred Perry, Randy Knorr, Denny Oliver, Jordan Croucher, these guys are now moved on with their life. So now coach, you know, those four or five years that they were there, that part is done. So it was kind of like a rebuilding period. Curls drippy, huh? Uh, I, just, I mean, I just told Tristan, man, the juice is dripping. Man, don't hype him up, Gary. Don't hype him up. <laughs> I just came out the bath. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Well, you're a little fit in the front, though, man. You're getting the Gary G going there. That's right. That's right. Uh, my mom, my mom said, "Why does your face look so thin?" I said, "I think it's just because of the goatee, mom. I, I, I'm not yeah. losing my crazy weight." <laughs> yeah, you need to shave. Nah, bro, not a not a chance. I found I found something that works rather than just being bald. So I'm a, I'm a roll with it for a while until this comes out. Oh, with the rosé. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this is uh, episode 16. Um, nice. Uh, TOTFC podcast um, with Tristan and I. Where we have uh, Gary Gallimore, former pro basketball player, um, entrepreneur of his own uh, brand business trench life which i love the uh what it stands for um he's also a father a uh spouse and he's a career he's a professional so he's he's essentially doing a lot um <laughs> it seems like it <laughs> it is it is you're 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 modest you're very humble so yeah. um i don't know maybe give a i, I know you from x we met at, at saint of x where we played right. basketball together shortly we lived together shortly right, uh, right we've we've kept in contact since we've you know we've had our we've had our interesting <laughs> conversations and everything about life but just yeah. give, give the people a, an idea of who you are wow man i guess we have a lot of history man we teammates friends roommates the whole works but yeah for me i'm gary gallimore uh, i currently reside in ottawa born born in jamaica spent the first nine years of my life in jamaica moved to ottawa um Went to high school in Ottawa. After that, uh, went to St. Effects for uh, for four years. Played basketball for the X-Men. Uh, after that, also had an opportunity to go play overseas for five four years. Played one year in Halifax for the Halifax Rainmen. Was part of Canada's uh, national team program from 2002 to 2007. And and now yeah, here I am, a father, married, husband, big brother, the works, and all that good stuff. Uh, and Gary, I want to like add my part in you. I know you, of course, from growing up uh, watching X play. Right. But then I got, I got to kind of uh, get to know you a little bit better when I spent uh, two summers in Ottawa with uh, Dwayne when I played for Phoenix. Right. Um, that's when I was introduced to uh, kind of your role within that program, the history that goes back with Dub. Um, that's when, right around the same time, I think you launched Trench Life. Yeah, it was, um, I think, yeah, that, that summer you were in Ottawa was, um, I think I had just come back from my first season in Romania, I believe. Right. And that's kind of when I started putting it together was my, uh, at the end of my first season in Romania, 
how it, how it actually came about was I was doing these when I first got to Romania. I had I'd been off for about two years from playing overseas or whatever. So when I got over there, I was super excited. I was really happy about being back there. So I was really like passionate about the work that I was putting in over there. So every day I'd like write a little statement or comment on my Facebook page and then hashtagging was just kind of like becoming a big thing back then. So I'd put at the end of it, hashtag trench life. And I did that the whole season. And at the end of the season, I was like, I really like the, the concept of this is something that's really speaking into what I'm doing. So I was like, let me see if I could put it in some apparel and see how people react to it, see how I could uh, use that to kind of push people along in their day-to-day -day journey. And the response was good. And from there, we just kind of stepped, uh, started uh, putting it together slowly. We're uh, started in 2012, we're 2020 now. Obviously with entrepreneurship, there's a lot of ups and downs and challenges and stuff like that. And also the fact that I, I put it on the back burner a little bit because I wanted to look at other aspects of my life. I married my married my wife. We started building a family together, so that kind of took precedence over what I was doing with trans life stuff. But now it's back in the mix, and we're kind of pushing it forward now. I hey, just want to shout out. I still got the OG uh, red and black trench life <laughs> to this day, all time yeah. short of all time. Yeah, that's the classic. That was the first two pieces with some basketball shorts. I had them in black and red, and I had them in uh, black, black gray. gray and white. I got yeah, the gray, I got the gray, the black pieces. And it's tough because any piece I've put out after that, the, 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 the original buyers always refer to that. Yeah, you know, I would love to see you come back with this kind of style, this kind of style. Because the quality was good. Yeah. The thing with also with apparel is manufacturing, right, is always finding the right manufacturer to meet the needs that you want. And, and, and that's also very tough to do. So sometimes our a quality might be up and down, but we've found some consistency now, which is why we feel like now is a good time to really start pushing it forward. Nice one. Um, just touch on, uh, you talked about entrepreneurship um, yeah. and how you took a little break because of the family and some other things, focuses in your life. But can you touch on, you know, me, myself starting this past year, um, just just talk to people and explain maybe the, the difficulties that you as an entrepreneur face yourself by quite like maybe questioning yourself on things right. that you're doing, right. people telling you what to do. Everybody wants to give you advice as if they're doing it themselves and know exactly what to do, because that's something I face every day, like right. friends, family and trying to find a way to, to listen to what they're saying, but also kind of also be like, okay, but it's, it's not as simple as what you think. Right. So I think uh, I have a few stories that go hand in hand with that. But I think before I get to them, the point of the matter is at some point, you're going to have to stop listening to people like everybody. Obviously, there's information that you could use, but uh, everybody just saying a lot of things. Sometimes you have to like stop listening to what everybody's saying and just focus on the points that, you know, will help you grow and help build your build whatever you're trying to build, because. The bottom line is uh, I've been in situations where I've actually taken people's advice in terms of like certain designs and, and quality and stuff. And it turns out when, when I put that stuff on the market, the same people that were giving me the advice didn't even buy it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, and that's kind, that kind of gets discouraging because realistically, when you start a company, you start anything like, like for example, you, 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 you mentally have a list of people that you feel is going to be a guaranteed supporter. 
And as soon as you get into that, get things rolling, you realize that's not that, that's not the case. Like you see, they'll probably more likely support somebody else who is probably from out of town before they even look at your stuff. And I think that's one of the most discouraging things is that you in your mind have a list of people that you think are going to be on board. And then when they're not, you're like, you start questioning what you're doing. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it, you know, what am I not doing to meet their needs? But you have to look beyond that. Sometimes you have to look beyond your circle, like your circle of friends, your circle of family, and probably reach out to like the person that you don't even have a relationship with and see they're more likely to buy your stuff or, or maybe like support you rather than people that you know. And that's something you have to, you have to accept, accept as an entrepreneur is that they're not always going to, it's not always going to be the people you think initially. Sometimes you have to win those people. And that's a tough part, right? It's easy to win somebody else, maybe in a foreign country or another province or, you know, in another part of, in another part of the province, as opposed to like, you know, a good friend or family member, you have to really win. And I don't think like, I think a lot of times because they know you so well and know you so long, they feel like, ah, this is just a project that he's doing. It'll fizzle out. He's not really that passionate about it. You know, and that's and that that also gets discouraging. But I think you have to look beyond. It's tough, but I think initially you have to look beyond the people that you think are going to support you and build relationships with, like maybe a complete stranger. Mm. That's a good point, especially yeah. especially the discouraging aspect. It's easy to be discouraged if like people that, like you said, that sound like they're supporting you when you talk <laughs> and you spit these ideas to them. And then you you go in and the, and you're just like yo where you at like yeah yeah not here now yeah 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 it's it's, it's it is man and I think uh, a lot of times also it's best to like from from my experiences to kind of like do the work and let the work speak yeah. don't tell don't necessarily tell people what you're doing before you do it because somebody's gonna have an opinion especially if somebody that you value their opinion and it may not be the best information for you but you'll take it because of your relationship. Or your respect for them but in the end it ends up hurting you so i think a lot of times it's best to show people rather than to tell them about it before you do it i i also think that uh at the end of the day you need to treat your friends just as another cut like a regular customer right right exactly start holding your friends or your inner circle to this certain expectation that they're automatically gonna like your brand over another established one it's not until you you level out the market and say, look, Frosty is just the same as Win Wendy down the road, like right. who I don't even know. At the end of the day, we're all customers. We're all yeah. you got to see it that way. And exactly, that's a great point as well because I have this conversation with I have my older brother, my I have both my brothers involved with it now, and I have a, a friend of mine uh, that I knew from way back named Sean Peters. These are the guys. That's kind of that's kind of like the team that I'm working with at the moment. And yeah, like um, a lot of times is, especially with clothing, right? Because for people who play sports, there's brands that they gravitate to based on the fact that it's proven to help them succeed at what they do. Mm. Here I come now with my idea and my brand and was like, well, you know, I don't think you're at the level as say, which is fair. I'm not at the level as a, as a Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, or Lululemon. But realistically, you'd hope for them to give you a try because sometimes you do have good stuff, but because you haven't been around long enough, people don't trust it as much as they do as the other companies. Hundred yeah. um, percent. We're working with a team now. Um, 
Is that is that challenging? Like when they try to give insight or change your opinion on something you want to do? I'm just asking because you know we're kind of in the same boat. Where again, I know it's kind of touching on the same aspects, but you're talking yeah. about a team team with you. Like, right. is that challenging? It's super challenging, and I'm gonna say it's super challenging even for them because I'm such a difficult person to work with. And the reason for that is because when you start something and you're passionate about it. When people come on board, you expect them to be be at the same level as you are, right? And when they're not, like, it gets super frustrating and you might even, like, end up butting heads. So, like, in that sense, it is challenging. But the reason why I brought my brothers and, and my friend up aboard is because when I initially started, like, my, my, my knowledge was very limited. I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't necessarily know how to do it. I reached out to my brother. He's, he's, he's great with numbers. You know, he could make... He could make wizardry with numbers. So like, that's like a no brainer. You always need the numbers guy. And then Sean Peter, he's good at like, um, he's, he's a good per people person. He knows how to build relationships, which is crucial, especially like reaching out to manufacturers. And he's great at negotiating. I don't really like to negotiate. It's either like, this is what I want. If you can't do it, I'm going to go somewhere else. I don't, I don't like nickel and diming or like trying to low ball or high ball or I don't, I don't like that, but those guys have those qualities that I saw in them, and I figured that that would also help me. But then, based on where we are and where we need to be, again, I don't necessarily have the resources to expand the team, so my demand of them now becomes even more. So then it becomes even more difficult because now I'm asking them to do more than I initially initially inquired of them. So then that, that also becomes difficult. And also, managing personalities. Like, I'm kind of like a... Like, I tend to be aggressive in your face. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, again, those guys are, ne not, are not necessarily like that. Like my brother, like, you know, like when I get too aggressive, like he's like, he's, he's kind of like, yo, that's not how you do business. <laughs> but I wouldn't treat my, I wouldn't treat the clients or anything like that. But like, I just, sometimes I just like, that's my way of saying like, come on, man, I need more from you. You know what I mean? Like this is, I, 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 but I need, I know you can give me more and I need more from you. So that, yeah. So that also makes it, makes it kind of challenging with the personalities and obviously my personalities. I've, I've, I've definitely a dominant personality and I, I also have to learn to scale that back, learning to like adapt to the people I'm working with. That's also challenging, but it's also a work in progress. So. That's because that's because Natasha dominates you at home, so you guys dominate everybody else. <laughs> yeah, that might be it, man. That's just me lashing out, you know. I'm trying <laughs> to get my man. Back. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to touch on <clears throat> you left X after your fourth year, so yeah. I I, I want to ask kind of a two-part question. Number one, can you can you touch on maybe the culture and when you showed up at X and the teams that you played on, started your career. To the to before right before you finished and then explain maybe did that have anything to do with the reason that you didn't finish a fifth year because many athletes finish fifth years kind of either to obviously you went pro so that wasn't really a point but some players right. like to pad on stats and add kind of their to their historical value to a program right whereas right. you just you know you you took off and and went and went pro but you know just touch on that maybe. So obviously, um, Saint Effects has a super rich history. Even 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 aside from the basketball, I think uh, Saint Effects in itself 
you know, is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, is a monument in, in, in uni Canadian university, whether academically or sports. So that, that, that foundation was already laid. But the basketball aspect of it, um, I started paying attention more to St. Effects when uh, a guy named Dion Williams. Dion Williams, for me, was probably one of the best high school players growing up in Ottawa. It was always his high school and my high school in the finals, even though they were older than me. I remember one year, our junior team faced Dion's junior team and then our senior team uh, with John Bell and my brother, they faced, they faced them. Dion went to a school called St. Pat's, which even up until today is a powerhouse. My younger brother went there for two years. Um, Ottawa just recently had their first NBA draft pick. He went there. They've always been uh, producing quality athlete and quality talent in sports. So when Dion went to X, he, um, he also came from a program, the Phoenix program that Tristan spoke about. And when he went to St. Effects, like the coach would always, you know, kind of, Dion was kind of her connection to Coach K because he's, he's one of her guys that went out there and, and so on and so forth. So then um, I started paying attention that way. But the big thing for me, though, like I could have stayed home and went to school here in Ottawa, but I always, I always loved traveling and going different places and, you know, meeting new people and that kind of stuff. And that's kind of why the pro thing was a big thing for me as well. And um, so when I got to St. Effects in 2003, X had had a long history of winning, but that period of time was kind of like after the back-to-back -back championships, they went through a dry spell because obviously guys like Fred Perry, Randy Knorr, Denny Oliver, Jordan Croucher, these guys are now moved on with their life. So now coach, you know, those four or five years that they were there, that part is done. So it was kind of like a rebuilding period. I came in there as a true rookie. Uh, coach brought a guy named Zach Russell who had uh, who was coming from uh, the college league. He play, I think he was had played two years. John Bell was now coming there, and there was a. But I was the only true rookie, so we still had. Um, even though it was a rebuilding period, there was still some solid pieces there already, and Coach kind of found the right pieces to to help you know bring the kind of energy to kind of push them to the next level. I mean, it's not that I think the guys that he brought in complimented the guys that were there already because the drive and the the you know the, the hunger and the desire to win kind of spurred and inspired the guys who were already there so that kind of made us all melt mesh together and gel together and um and we had a great first season my first season was great um i think we were top in the aus aus champions uh we made it all the way to the finals and nationals we lost to carlton by like i think it was by like three points or something like that debatable game, whatever, you know, but that, that was at the point where Carlton was really starting to get it together and get the ball rolling. I think that would have been their second or third championship or something like that. So at that point, um, yeah, but for us, it was good. And then over the years, I think um, pieces started kind of falling out, which kind of, even though we were good, it, was, it, didn't, it wasn't as strong as that uh, 2003, 2014. I'll say one thing. Augie Jones was very instrumental a part of that team my first year because everybody knows Augie. He's a tough competitor. Obviously, he's had a, had a great run at X himself, and he, he's coached a lot of guys that went to X and you know played on the East Coast. So Augie, for us, he really inspired uh, the guys on the team to play defense. I came in as a guy that loved to play defense, but Augie's presence also made the team a defensive team. So on that we're good offensively and we're also great defensively which was key for us and then um Augie I think took a teaching position towards the end of my first season which 
to this day, I believe, kind of like determined how things went for us in the finals. I think Augie, a lot of guys depended on Augie to give them that extra push on the basketball court. And when he was gone, they kind of have, they kind of like reverted back to what they knew, which, you know, which kind of was like maybe not have been the same intensity or the same drive or the same push as they had when Augie was behind them. And then, and then obviously years go by, guys graduate. Dion left. Dion for me was uh, was great my first year as well because he was a great leader at the point guard position. Uh, he knew how to – we had a lot of strong personalities on that team. And credit to Coach K for keeping it together, but also for guys that play sports, whether football, hockey, basketball, whatever, there's always one guy or a couple guys that know how to manage the personalities, whether on the court or on the field. So that also helps a lot. So we lost Dion, and then over the few years, we lost a couple guys, and then I think my fourth year, sorry, I'm taking the long road. No, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. Okay, so my fourth year, um, I think at this point, I've already been, like like I said, I've been a part of the national team program, so every summer I play, every summer from my second last year of high school, I've played with the national team, whether junior nationals, U20, U21. Um, I won a bronze with uh, the U21 men's national team in 2005 in Argentina. And Neil McDonald was also part of that team. So that was cool because there was another X-Men on the journey with me as well. And um, yeah, so with that being said, like going into my fourth year at this point, I've played enough basketball to feel like based on conversations I've had with guys who have already taken the step to go pro that you know, that I'd like to go go play professional basketball. And that was going into my fourth year. And I told Coach K at the start of the season that that's what I was thinking. Obviously, and I don't think he was, he was supportive, but he was surely, you know, he made it clear that he would love that if I had played my fifth year, of course. And um, during the course of that year, we had a good season. The season didn't end how we, that was my first time losing in AUS. You know, we had a good, we had a good enough team to win, obviously, but I felt like, you know, we went into that game. That was the first time I've ever been, like, in foul trouble on that stage. I remember I picked up, like, three quick fouls, like, right away, which kind of, like, kind of did me in because – and on top of it, like, I was defensive player of the year, and they gave me three quick ones. Like, give me a break, man, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> so that that kind of sucked, and that, and that kind of took me out of the game because here I am. It's hard to manage three fouls in the first half. I get into the second half and then like within like not too long after I pick up my fourth. So then it was really like I was I was a non-factor in that game. And then we have we had a pretty solid recruiting class. We had we had Will, we had Bear, we had Dwayne, we had Alberto, we had Terrence. But these guys, they were young, so this was still new for them, right? And like for me, when I played at that stage, I had like I said, I had Dion who was older, I had John Bell, I had Zach. I had guys who were already there. I was the only true rookie that played on that team, right? So for those guys, I felt like without having the proper leadership or guidance, it was kind of tough for them because they've never played at that at that level yeah. before. And it would have definitely benefited them if they saw one of their senior guys going out there and being productive, then that could bring them along because that's what happened for me with the guys when I played with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we ended up losing. Um, but um, I was, for me, based on the way things ended, in my heart, I wanted to come back and play a fifth, and that was still on the table because, what was that? That was March. So nothing was solidified yet for me to go overseas or whatever. But what really did me in was my last year, 
I decided to join the honors program and I wrote a, and write an honors thesis. I ended up failing and I, 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 I didn't really expect, I didn't, ex I never really shared this with anybody, but it really devastated me because like it was something I did. I put a whole year in and then to find out at the last, I think it was the day before I was supposed to present it. I got a call from the person that was, um, was supervising me, which was Dr. Agnes Khalise, rest in peace. She was supervising me and she called me and she said that, you know, they're not going to let you present because they feel like, you know, there is some problems with your thesis and, and how it was put together and blah, blah, blah. So I got that call and it kind of sucked. So that kind of made me feel a little bit bitter. And then, mm -hmm. and then um, after that, so what would have happened now? Because um, the credits I would have gotten for the thesis would have been enough for me to graduate, right? I didn't get the chance to graduate with my with my peers that I came in with. Like I had a couple guys that played football that were my roommates as well. They were going to get to walk across the stage. At this point, I've already like reserved the rooms, done everything for my family to be there. But now I'm, I think I was like three credits short to graduate. So I was really disappointed in that whole part of it. So the next thing for me now was forfeit the whole uh, honors thesis thing and then go back to uh, to get like uh, my bachelor, which only thing I needed was uh, was a poli-sci course. I would have now finished with a um, uh, major in sociology and minor in politics, which was my initial degree before I joined the honors program. And all I needed to do was take one course in the summer and then I would have been good to go. And so I decided to go that route simply because I was, the disappointment, how I didn't feel like I wanted to go back and be at St. Effects after, after, after that experience. And obviously the pro thing was still on the board. I stayed there. I trained with the guys that were there. And um, yeah, and then ultimately Coach K put it together. He got the agents involved. And, you know, that summer I played at the played at the FISU games. Um, I had a, he put me through with an agent. Um, he, he got me set up with my first my first deal, which was uh, playing in the first division in Belgium. So that's how that went. And yeah, so the fifth year could have happened. But again, like the disappointments were too much for me to want to go back to school. At that point, I was done with school. That's that's, 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 that's ultimately it. I was done with school. I remember. I think I remember a bit of that because we used to talk a bit. About, yeah. You, you used to talk about your your thesis and your pay, yeah. like the honors and stuff like that. Yeah. And I remember actually the day that you kind of just you talked about it for you didn't even want to really get into it. Like you kind of just you just kind of like it's not happening. Yeah. And I was kind of like, what, like, what do you mean? Like, you've been talking, you've been doing work all year round for this. Like, right. and to hear you say that now, it's very understandable how you'd be like, well, man, like, F it. Like, yeah, yeah, it was call me the day before and just like, what? Yeah, like, that's the thing, though, right? If, if it wasn't the case, like, if I had known maybe like a month or two before, if they said, like, we don't think that. You're necessarily not that you weren't on the right track, but we don't think you'll be able to com get it completed. And then, because part of it is like I have to go de defend it against the sociology department, against all the professors in the sociology department, right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. I was going to present it to them, and I had to defend it because that's why I was going to give it credibility. Like I had to, like, you know, obviously discuss my methods of research. I had to discuss my topic, how I came to this, and and basically prove to them that what I was saying was factual information. That's what it came down to. So if I had, if, if, if they had said to me, like, it's not going to happen, 
it would probably be something that would probably inspire me to like maybe work at it more extensively, especially going into the summer so that coming back into the next year, I'll be kind of like on top of the ball. So then it would be like a smoother transition. But that didn't happen. It was just too last minute for me. And at that point, I was too invested into it physically and emotionally for me to just like, you know, to to not be disappointed or feel how I felt about it. Do you, do you feel like sports um, played a role in kind of in that, like that your time, you didn't have as much time as maybe just a regular student that is working on their thesis? Because we talk a lot about the, the difficulty in managing um, school books and, and sport and uh you know, listening to you talk. Also, I know you well. You're very well educated. You're very well spoken. Um, so, like hearing you talk about that, like I, it, it can be frustrating because you know, at the end of the day, like you're educated enough to 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 be able to do this. Part of me feels like now, looking at this, you'd be like, I still want to present. Like <laughs> so I, so I can kind of like battle with the profs that want to that want to come at my, you know what I mean, or or at least explain to me how to do something better. Um, do you right. think sports plays, plays a big factor in, in, in that and, and, and maybe for other students? Uh, it might, but again, at that point, um, so when I, when I decided to do it, I was no longer necessarily carrying a full course load. So like all my courses were geared to the thesis or okay. all my classes were geared to, to, to being, to doing the honors thesis. So, it wasn't like I was overwhelmed with other work because now the only thing I had to do really was obviously the, the classes, but the classes, the work I was doing in the classes were contributing to the thesis. So I had, I had enough time, you know, I had enough time to do the work as well as do the basketball stuff. Obviously, I mean, if I was just like not an athlete and I had the opportunity to just buckle down and focus on spend all my time into it, that probably would have had a, a different result. Sports played its part because at the same time I'm playing on one of the best universities teams in Canada at, at that point. And um, obviously there's times that I had to need, I, I needed to be more productive. Again, having a younger core of guys, I think there was a little bit more responsibility for me now in terms of my leadership on the court, you know, the work that they saw me doing, leading by example and stuff like that. So I also had to dedicate a lot of time to that as well. So maybe if in hindsight, maybe if I wasn't like playing basketball, the results would have been different. But mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that that affected to the point where I got the results I did because I did manage my time very well. That was one of my best academics year, academic years at X because I was so dialed in on what I was doing. So that it didn't it 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 could have, but I didn't I didn't see I didn't think that I don't think that that it was the driving factor in anything. But it does. But again, let me make it clear that not everybody can excel academically and excel athletically. You have to really like know how to manage your time and and depends like also, are you passionate about what you're studying? Are you just mm -hmm. taking courses so you can play basketball, right? Or play sports? Because that also helps because you may not commit the time you need into your academics if you're just doing it to get by so you could be a part of a sports team. That's... uh. That's a really good point. Um, I know you. I know you said you brought up uh, Khalees. Um, yeah. Um, rest in peace. Can you just speak on the importance, maybe, of of having kind of a, a professor that can can get to you, can get to students and and help kind of 
to bring something out of them that maybe other profs can't because I, I specifically remember you and some other guys that used to take your classes, talk about the discussions in class, about how, you know, fruitful they were, how important they were, how, how much, you know, discussion it would bring about, you know, especially topics that people were uncomfortable with. Right. Talk about um, her, her kind of helping you with what you were doing. Um, just, just talk about mentorship and, and leadership from a teacher standpoint, how important it is kind of in whether it's high school or, or university. So, yeah, before I get to like the teacher's perspective on, on, on that, I think whether you're an athlete or a student, you have to make yourself available for that, right? Because I feel like it's easy to say, well, you're the teacher, you're supposed to like help me do this, help me do that. But if you're not dialed in, then their mentorship is not going to do anything for you. So again, that relationship ultimately does start with the student or the, or the athlete or whatever. Once you get into that environment, if you see that there's something that you need help with and you present it to a professor or whoever, you have to then be willing to commit to making that mentorship work. So again, it is very important. Mentorship is absolutely key. And I believe, and I think that a lot of people could benefit from it as long as both parties have an understanding, like I'm willing to put the time in to help you, help you better yourself or help you grow in whichever direction I can help you grow in. But you also can't just sit there and expect me to keep feeding you and feeding you and feeding you. At some point you have to be absorbing, absorbing and taking the information and then applying it. Mm, yeah. That's the other part of it. Like getting information is cool, but if you're not applying it, you're wasting it. So I, mentorship works both ways for me. It's very important for uh, to have a relationship with a professor or a coach, but you have to be able to use that relationship to help yourself grow. If you're not using it, you're wasting your time and you're wasting their time. So mentorship is important, but I feel like there has to be like a two-way relationship for it to be successful. I just want to add like that, that speaks volumes on this whole idea of what motivation is. Right. And- and how easily us as human beings become motivated in any area, Let, right. let's say sports or the gym. You know, someone someone can get motivated and listen to, to, to these different talks and these different people and get inspiration. Right. But unless you're actually going out and applying that, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. Right. Exactly. Right? I mean, like, I'll use top of the food chain for an example, right? People see you do like those incredible like exercises, like like, I mean it's it's mm-hmm. unreal, <laughs> it's unreal. And I think a lot of people like they look at you and be like, well, if you can look at this, look at this guy. If he can do it, then I can do it. But they don't understand like the amount of hours and commitment and trial and maybe error, and maybe saying like, okay, I tried it this way this time. Let me go and try it this way before you get to the point where. It looks as smooth as it does when you when you when you make a video of it, right? Yeah. A lot of people don't understand that, and the problem is, a lot of people they want the end product, but they don't really want to put the work in to get there. So I think I think that's a big that's a big thing as well. Like you have to be able to um, commit to the work first. Don't worry about the end product. Like you know what the end product you want, but if you're just trying to get to that, you're never gonna make it. And then that's where you get discouraged. That's where you quit. That's where, you know, you probably start blaming it on genetics and this and that or whatever. But really, it's like 
you could be a super freak athlete by nature, but then somebody who's been working and building themselves up can outperform you at anything because they have put the work in to get there. If you have talent, natural talent, that only goes so far until you until you run out of juice. But if you continue to groom that talent, polish that talent, then yeah, sky's the limit, man. You could do a lot of things. That's such a good point. Kind of leads into a question that I want to talk about. Um, because I know you as a as a worker, you know, trench life stands for itself. Get in the trenches and put in work. Right. Um, we used to get up early mornings at camp and shoot and stuff. And I've always seen the work. But you you coached, uh, you were assistant coach at Ottawa for a little bit, correct? Yeah. Can, do you find there's a difference in the culture in terms of work ethic between when you played sports and, and how people are, athletes are coached nowadays? within society's kind of parameters and what they deem too much you know you said you're a dominant you know figure um and and i my personal view is i see i see people and 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 teams and i feel like it's kind of i don't want to necessarily say soft i just i don't think like you touched on the fact that a lot of people want the end result but don't want to do everything to get to that point they just want to skip all these processes all these stages they want to go from the bottom of the food chain to the top of the food chain without working through the middle. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And did you did you find any of that when you coached? Because it was only a short little stint, correct? Right. It was just it was just for one season. Um, University of Ottawa is very. I think they have one of the best setups I've seen in a, in a while in college sports in terms of what they do to get their players prepared for games and such. And I and I really admired the work that. Coach Jimmy did when I was there, and also uh, Justin Ceresi, who's now the head coach at Laurier Basketball. Those two were phenomenal in, in, in what they did. So it was never it was never really up to the players to take. They were held accountable on every turn, whether it was, you know, going to class, making sure your grades are up, whether it was, you know, coming to the workouts, the, 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 the workouts in the morning, because I believe at that time they – I really admired their player development. So in the mornings, they had like their big guys would come in for their sessions and then their guards would come in for their sessions enough. And in the evenings, you'd have your practices and such. So all the guys were held accountable for the work they needed to do to help the team be successful. So I didn't I didn't really I didn't see anything, any flaws in anything they did. And that's why to this point, you can see that they've, they've consistently been in the top 10 during the course of however many years. So, I mean, they do a great job there. But, I mean, there are programs out there. There are guys that I interacted with from different programs who who don't get it. And mm. and, and they, play, they play in teams or, or, or for programs that are probably never going to be successful because they're either never held accountable by anybody else or they themselves don't hold themselves accountable. They kind of just show up and do whatever they want which is why they're the caliber players they are and, and potentially the caliber people they are. But when I was at Ottawa, you definitely, they had a, they had a, they had an excellent program set up for the players. And if you look at like their key players, their top players, they had, the, they had back-to-back player of the year, Johnny Brahani and uh, Mike Gibson, Lafricane. You have Caleb Agata, who's also, they're also an all Canadian defensive player of the year. Those are guys who went overseas to have, to play in amazing leagues. Like the leagues they play in could not have happened if they weren't prepared the way they were prepared. So it depends again, like definitely on, on, on the coaching and what they're doing to prepare those players.
But like I said before, also how those players are receiving that information, applying it. So I didn't see that particularly at Ottawa, but I've seen it in other players from different programs. True. <clears throat> it's interesting you say. I mean, I'm, I remember at X us having to have tracking sheets because guys wouldn't go to class. And, right. and guys would forge signatures and, and guys would get caught and sometimes guys would still play. Same which, shit when I was there too. Which which is really interesting, right? When you when you talk about accountability, because right. um, I don't know, it makes me question: is it is it more important for the coach to be to help hold people accountable, or or do the players need to hold each other accountable? I think it's a um, bit of both, but there's something more. Uh, it's kind of like parenting, right? For for example, if my brother holds my holds me accountable i might i might okay whatever i might take the information or i might not but there's something a little bit more if i hear it from my if i hear it from my parents right yeah if i hear it from my parents that might carry a little bit more weight so definitely yeah. I, it definitely has to start of the head and then obviously then the body will follow so that I, I, it definitely has to start with the coaching but again there are those odd apples or lack of a better term bad apples who just don't care yeah doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you try to hold them accountable or somebody in a in a higher position try to hold them more accountable that's just the way they are and i don't think it's going to make a difference do you do you think that um so if we take for example i'm not saying it's always like this say at, say at saint of x but um i think i think you might find former players that say there was a little bit of accountability issues do you think it's harder for for a small town to, to do that in a small town compared to in a big, big, bigger city where there might be more influential kind of people around that have been through the grind, have been there before that kind of, I, I don't, do you know what I'm saying? Kind of. Um, I like, think. Like if you're not in St. Avex when, when we're there um, coaching, you know, when you came back to help coach out, like there's no, or there's nobody really there that's been through it that can give you that connection, that feedback. Right. It's only it's only the 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 coaches essentially. Whereas in maybe if you're in Ottawa, there's multiple former players that are definitely in that basketball community that you might run into at a game or after a game, and they might a guy that you might not know might be like, "Yo, uh, bro, like I, I'm seeing this. Like we don't really know each other, but try to keep doing this, try to change this, or 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 a coach can reach out to a Gary Gallimore or a former Carlton and say, "Can you talk to my player for me? I'm having trouble with him." Right. Right. Uh, so you got to kind of look at, uh, where St. Effects is. It's kind of, um, everything is, everything is built around the, the basketball team at the time. Cause that was the team. Yeah. So I think in a sense, like basketball season was really what made everything come alive. Right. And I feel like the players were put on a pedestal, not just the players at the times that we were there, but based on the work that the, the foundational players did, based on the success they had, I think the town kind of gravitated to the team in a sense where they held them on a higher pedestal where they feel like, well, if this guy messes up or makes a mistake, it's all good, you know, because in a sense that we need him to kind of help keep that, 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 that thing we love alive, right? But I think, uh, and, and then in, in, a, in a place like, like Ottawa, for example, there's, there's four 
There's two colleges and two universities, two of the top universities, one who has won, I think, was it 14 or something? Something stupid. Exactly, something ridiculous amount of championships. So you may not, you can't be moving around here willy-nilly because, again, there's a school across the way that's the top team in the, in, in the, in, in the province, and they're held, they're held at a high standard because, you know, they're accountable. The way, they're, the way they hold each other accountable is crazy. The way, the way, like their accountability, every player holds every player accountable and every coach holds every player accountable. So like they don't have room to be, to be mucking that up. Mm-hmm. Now you're the team across the other side of the city. That's your rival. Are you going to be out here moving around willy nilly? In a sense, they kind of hold each other accountable because again, there's a top team. I want to be the top team. I have to move like a top team if I'm going to be a top team. There wasn't that. There's not that in Anaganish. And no disrespect to anybody in Anaganish. There's not that in Anaganish because it's a small town. And again, the university makes the town pop. And then at that time, the basketball team, that was that, that's what was really making the town pop. So a lot of people might have turned a blind, blind eye or looked the other way or, you know, gave many chances to people who were repet- who have repetitively bad habits. Yeah. Opposed to again around here that's not going to sell because there's so much basketball being everybody's holding everybody accountable that that's crazy that's what makes it so special in any yeah. too when you do win because you, you yeah yeah exactly exactly and that that's the thing though like when things are done the right way and everything comes together the right way like it's it's definitely like probably one of the greatest like experiences ever probably the greatest atmosphere to play in. Like when the team was the way it was, definitely the greatest atmosphere. Even throughout Nova Scotia, like going to an X game was a big deal because you were going to see kind of like history unfolding because the way history was already set up with the program, right? It was almost like people gathered around to catch a piece of history, whether it was they were playing in Halifax or Wolfville or Cape Breton or, you know, that's, that, was, that was a special moment because ultimately – in a sense, even though a lot of people weren't admitted, there was a point where St. Effects was Nova Scotia's team because yeah. they were consistently on the national stage. They have won at the national stage back-to-back at that point. So that was Nova Scotia's team. So whenever there was nationals, all the players or teams that they played against, those fans in that moment became X-fans. Yeah. Whether they want to admit it or not, I'm sure people are going to be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, X, well, well, woo, woo. But it, that's a fact, man. True. It is. Very true. Interesting question for the both of you guys having having uh, played at X. Where where is your favorite gym to play in the AE West besides home? <laughs> I'm always curious about this question. Well, I can't answer Halifax. Like I can't a- answer what AE West gym like SMU, Acadia, Dal. Oh, besides X, you mean? Besides yeah. Saint for myself, I honestly I enjoyed playing in Wuffle. I, I really I loved the floor. It was stupid bouncy. I was for a guy that, for a guy that could squeeze a couple dunks in his career in practice. He always felt nice in, in warm ups, just getting out there. And there, they had uh, along with Kate Breton, um, I think they had some of the crazier fans, especially when they do like their student night in Wuffle. Like they have these like bags like popping bags and stuff uh, right behind the bench there and the 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 stands were 
backs were directly behind our bench and they go up high. So it's almost as if guys are like looking in the huddle. I remember coach would always move the the huddle into like the, the court because people would be in and and I don't know when Gary can attest to this when we played, you know, some of the guys were, were acting up, they were getting in trouble and they had some of the more more authentic and creative signs I've seen in, in terms of sports in like AUS. Like I remember guys were, were accused of stealing stuff and I remember they were doing the interviews and they were so and so, give me my laptop back and and oh, like, wow. Dwayne Johnson sucks. Like Tyler Richards saw, like they're yelling right in your face. And you're just kind of like laughing to the point where it's like, man, they're actually creative. Like this is a, this is an environment that it will get your competitive juices going, right? Like you want to go out there and wax their team because they're coming right at you. So for me, I, I'm going to say the, the Axman um, Acadia. No, those are, those are actually two pretty good ones. Um, I'm probably going to look at it more so of gyms that I have had success playing in. <laughs> so uh, definitely, uh, Acadia is definitely a good gym for sure. Uh, I, 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 I second what Will, Will's point is on that. Uh, there's something special about the floor. It was light on your knees. You, you felt like you felt more explosive. You felt like you, you just felt good playing on that floor. And on top of that, like they had... I don't know if the hoop wasn't one of the hoops like somewhat lower than the other one. I don't, I don't know, but you just felt like you were kind of floating and bouncing yeah, yeah, yeah. or something on that court. Right, right. Cape Breton was also a good one. I also like playing at uh, UPEI. Mm-hmm. Um, that one was, I don't know, I, I, just, I just always like playing there as well. But uh, to be honest, my I'll, I'll give you my two least favorites. Okay, okay. and Dow. <laughs> People, everyone hates Dow because the depth, the depth perception or something. Yeah, it's very dark. Dark. But uh, after playing pro, like Dow would be a, a suitable gym because again they had the freestanding baskets and all that kind of stuff. But I think the whole thing was like the air flowing in the dome and like you know probably like the air, the air pressure once you get in there. I think that kind of like turns people off. And the floor didn't have much give. It was very. They're both. Very tough, and then like uh, the dead spots that could have been on that court base again, I guess based on what's underneath the hardwood. So that was kind of like it wasn't ideal for me. I don't know. Smew was always a tough gym for me to get going in until like my I had I think I, my last year I had had a good game or two in Smew, but it was always a, a, a tough gym to play in for me. I I, I agree. I think Dal, like you said, the ear the 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 dome, the ear popping. It, it it is quite dark in there compared to like exactly exactly other gyms. Um, the floor is old. I'm pretty sure they used to play on like a 70s or 80s Knicks court that they bought. Okay, yeah. So then there's no improvement. And there was a lot of dead spots. That's true. I forgot about that. Um, Smew's just on concrete like floor pretty much. Or like, oh, okay, so yeah. So then yeah, it just I didn't like either. Honestly, like I I grew up playing in both of those gyms, but I preferred like you said. Even UPI had a nice. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. It had a nice, nice court. Nice feel to it. But yeah, what was it? Uh, but yeah, I think I think uh, like I said, after playing pro, coming back to Dow, it would probably. The only time I truly enjoyed playing in Dow was that shoveler tournament. Yeah. And I think it was it probably more so the atmosphere than than the, the actual court or whatever, because I think it was a Christmas tournament. Everybody was home. 
you know, so the city was really alive at that point, and everybody was, especially when you played the later games, you know, everybody would be there. So that'd be like, that'd be ideal. And they usually have, they'd usually have a nice, like an Ottawa, a Concordia, a Carlton. Exactly, exactly. I always brought like teams from out of town, which was good to switch it up. Like at that point, I was like mid-season, so you've already been playing against the AUS teams already. So it's good to. You know, see what's out there at that point because you may run into them down the road. Yeah, kind of test yourself. Yeah, exactly. The only down thing about the the shoveler was when you went home for Christmas break, it had it had too much oh. too much turkey, and it, it, it you come back for the first game. Man. Yeah, yeah, no, but coach, coach did a good job. You had those uh, that mini training camp before you got the shoveler, the two a days. Yeah, you know, so I, that was cool. Didn't matter if there's every year there's a crazy snowstorm and he still had practice, even yeah. though the, the court was dripping from yeah. water falling down the middle. That's it, man. But those are the stories that make a program great, right? Right. That's, that's true. Um, kind of switching switching gears a bit. Um, how, I want to kind of touch on the fact that a majority of kind of I think communication with former teammates and friends nowadays is via social media and mm-hmm. Facebook and groups like that. And, um, you know, Gary and I've had, had some back and forth before and, and I've had back and forth with other people before on, on social yeah. media. And I just want to get your opinion on how important the difference is in an in-person conversation and conversation via just reading text and trying to interpret maybe um, somebody's like tone via via words opposed to an actual like if I'm saying something like we're laughing and smiling right now whereas you can't see if somebody's laughing or smiling right you can interpret something the wrong way and how I don't know maybe how that plays with with um, friendships with uh, with business with with online you know right life food top of the food chain because i read stuff all the time on my posts and sometimes i'm like yo why is this why is this person coming at me yeah yeah. sometimes like yo will you're so defensive like you just chill out like why are you always on the defense right yeah um i just think that's an important important part of kind of uh communication um and also not easy reading reading text and and trying to interpret everything what the person's trying to say right uh, maybe just touch on that in terms of like what social media kind of has changed in terms of communication via people and and the world a bit in terms of how we interpret stuff right so again the thing with text like written text or reading written text as opposed to a face-to-face conversation is that, like you said, it's hard to interpret the tone and sometimes it's easy to take uh, certain things that set out of context because you don't really, because the conversation, a lot happens in the conversation. Like right now we're having a conversation. I can tell by how we're communicating, you know, the direction we're going and based on, again, the tone, the body language and things like that. All that is missing once you get into social media, right? So you kind of have to interpret. So like something that could be said that could be interpreted lightheartedly. Now you have to use use your use your I guess your logic to make it make sense. Depending on the conversation you're having, you it may be taken in the right context or the wrong context. But again, 
everything is kind of left up to your interpretation. So that kind of makes it more difficult to have a conversation that both parties, it doesn't always happen, but it does happen. Yeah. As opposed to like you and I sitting down and chopping it up, you know, obviously. And I think in a sense, a lot of people get braver behind the screen because there's never going to be that confrontation. I think confrontation also, the, the potential for confrontation also becomes a barrier into a face-to-face -face conversation because let me say this in a way that you understand it, but not feel like I'm attacking you or like I'm, I'm really trying to like square up or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But at the same time, if I'm behind the screen, I feel like if I'm in Ottawa talking to you in Halifax, you know, maybe I want to like unload on you, get you ticked off, what are you going to do, jump on a plane and come see me? That's highly unlikely to happen, right? Mm -hmm. So again, I guess uh, I'm, I'm going to say that, you know, it does, face-to-face um, -face conversations are completely different than, um, than conversations through text or social media. But at the same time with social media, I guess if you're going to go, if you're going to do that kind of communicating, you kind of have to, I guess, be more open-minded and accepting of um of what may come so that beforehand, so that when it happens, you're not like, ah, you know what I mean? But like more so, okay, it could either go this way or go that way. If you mentally prepare yourself for that before it happens, I think it's a, it becomes more tolerable and, and you, you easier accept certain things that you probably wouldn't if it was a face-to-face -face conversation. It's two different means of communicating. You just have to know how to navigate social media and learn to separate the both of them. Yeah. 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 I just I just want to talk about that because I find not just with you and other people and, and, yeah, yeah. and Instagram and Facebook these days that people can really interpret a message a one way where it's meant to be delivered another and, right. and get really offended or feel, you know, if it, it goes against their values or their their belief system, they might feel a little bit, um, I don't know, insecure about maybe what they, they think of stuff and, and, and then right. a reaction comes and then. It just kind of snowballs. Yeah. Right. Also, sorry. Yeah. Just wanted to add to like, so in terms of also from a business perspective, like I'm also have to be mindful of what I put out there, you know, under the Trench Life brand, even, even like for people that know that I'm behind it on my personal stuff, I also have to be mindful of what I say, because then even though I'm speaking on my behalf, because I'm attached to the brand over here, it's always going to be, well, this is what they stand for. It doesn't matter if he's saying, but realistically, it may not be the case. But at the same time, uh, yeah, I, I'm very mindful of what I present. There's been times where I've commented on other people's stuff or said something and, and went back and deleted it because even though the way I said it might not be what is intended, the way somebody looking on interpreting it, May also be detrimental to to the to what I'm doing on the trench life side of it. So a lot of t there have been times where I have to double back and you know either reword what I say or just delete it all together and, and, and exclude myself from certain conversations. So yeah, so yeah, that that's it. Social media just because also because social media reaches so far and wide. So again, mm -hmm. you know, again for somebody who comes into contact with you or your brand you know, from overseas or whatever, or wherever it may be, you want to have the best first impression possible. Just like when you meet somebody for the first time, you also have to go from that route, right? So all that, 
Yeah, so there's, there's, there's a lot that has to be taken into, into consideration, even in personal conversation, but as well as social media. I think as you grow up, you learn also. Some of it is trial and error. A, yeah. lot, of, a lot of it is common sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I was going to say, um, had, I had a little question here. Um, when you... When you went pro and you talked about Coach Gay like hooking sh things up for you, um, was it uncomfortable dealing with an agent at first? Like, I'm just talking to, for people, players that may want to go pro as a, in a sport. Like, did you feel uncomfortable when you had to talk to an agent and discuss like your 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 plan to kind of go play at I don't know. You said the FISA games, was it? FISA games. FISA games, and 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 then you had to chalk it up with him and figure out what kind of your plan of attack and then and then i remember talking to you about when you you came home for yeah. i think a year because you you think remember your one of your parents was ill and you were trying to help right. out and right. you were trying to go back and play pro and there was some difficulties right despite having success you know collegiate and pro success like dealing with the agent and trying to you know right. figure out um you know you know why can't you get this done like right right out here like i'm putting in work i'm in the trenches all day yeah know? so initially no because again i was so excited for the opportunity so i, I welcomed every aspects of it i was i was a little naive because again it's my first time out so i was kind of like at the mercies at of the agents but thankfully for coach k who's been in this situation who've done this plenty of times before he kind of oversaw everything and made sure it went as smooth as possible. Where it became like super awkward or annoying or was when he realized that it's really business, right? It's really business. So again, after my first season, after taking the time off, it was the guy I was working with. It was no longer like a profitable business transaction for him, right? Because again, and then it became tough for me to get back after taking that year off because that was the year, the year I took off was that recession, right? Mm -hmm. For that big recession we had yeah. in 2000. Yeah. So European teams weren't really gambling on people who they felt like weren't valuable, which means players who weren't, haven't been playing competitively, whether NCAA, collegiate or whatever, or professional. The fact that I was just off, off, like totally decreased my value. So it became tough. And again, teams didn't want to go that route because it was a gamble for them. Am I still capable to play? You know, is it, is it, why would I not just take a guy who had a splendid college career? Why do I want to take a guy who's been sitting at that, sitting, quote unquote, sitting around all year? Even though I was training for them, it wasn't enough because I wasn't playing against competition. You know, and it's also a numbers game. So there was no stats to prove that I could still be productive, right? So, but that's where it came super awkward because then you realize the business side of it, the agent's not, quote unquote, I'm not speaking for every agent, but the agent, he's not your friend. Mm. And on top of it, I believe the guy who I, who I was working with, he wasn't, he wasn't a Canadian guy. He was a, he was a foreign guy. So again, you know, our only communication was, was either through phone or email. Again, like... That accountability thing or, or the conversation thing, I think if I'm sitting down in front of him and letting him know, like, I'm still capable, I'm still good, this is what I'm looking for, it'd be different. But again, 
I'm talking to him on email or, or whatever, it's easy for him to kind of like open the email, read it, and then and then move on. And on top of that, also depends who else they have on their roster, right? So I don't think I was the main guy on their roster. There was a lot of guys who were who were pros before I was, who were having success, and again with more success, bigger contracts are being signed, more money's being poured into them. I didn't make them any money that year, so it wouldn't have been a I wouldn't have been a priority for them because I ha- I wasn't you know what I mean I wasn't I wasn't feeding them I wasn't putting food on their table, so it became more awkward I guess down the line because you know because I had to accept that it was a business. And you realize that a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of agents or people, agents, whatever, were not you can't trust them. Mm. That's just the bottom line. Like there's some guys that are that have obviously in everything, there's people that do good business and do bad business. I've been in situations where I had bad agents. Like you couldn't trust them, you know. And I think um when I went overseas, when I there's agents that I went to play in front of hoping that they'll take me on. They take me on because I proved that I was good enough. And that was, again, the year I was trying to get back after that. I proved that I was good enough, but there was nothing done for me. I was still doing all the legwork myself. I was still calling teams. I was still going to tryouts. And then I go to the tryouts and I hit them up and say, yo, I went to this tryout. It did, I did pretty well, whatever. Expect a call, whatever, whatever. And then I wouldn't hear from this guy in two weeks. So maybe he took my call and gave it to somebody else. Right. There's always those things. There's always those options. It's just, you know, it's just, yeah. And that's that's it. Initially, it was cool, and then after the fact, it just became super awkward because again, I realized I can't really trust everybody. It's a business, you know. They're looking out for numero uno. I have to look out for numero uno, and that's just basically how it went. Do you think that played, uh, like, like, how is the contrast between what? Because you go through school and, and you're playing basketball and you're playing Team Canada, all that's kind of quote unquote guaranteed for you. You're not really dealing with agents and trying to get yourself a spot. Right. How was that? Like, how did that change your view on the sport of basketball or your love for the game of basketball when you had to deal with this whole other part of it? Like, it, it kind of became a business versus a game. So, the business side of it, like, That'll, that'll actually make you hate basketball. <laughs> and it, it, it also depends, like, what you what, what are you in it for? At that point, I was in it to get paid. So now I kind of have to, like, adjust my reasons or my motivations for playing. Mm-hmm. When I played amateur sports, it was fun just playing, right? When I played uh, Team Canada, it was fun just playing. Everything was done for me. Everything was taken care of. All I had to do was show up and play. They right. paid for the trips. They paid for the gear. They paid for this. They paid for that. So I, you know, I was good. Now, uh, now with the on the professional side of it, you have the agents to deal with, you have GMs to deal with, and then on top of it, you have your teammates to deal with because they're dealing with the same things. Now, it's a numbers game. So even though the team is talking about, yeah, we need to win this, win that, whatever, your agent is telling you, look, if you want to get another contract. We're thinking about doing this next year, get you into this league, whatever. You need to get these numbers. So a lot of times, like, what your agent wants for you is different than what the team has for you. And then, obviously, if the team is set up for the team to win, your numbers may not pan out the way your agent wants. And then that could also put you in a a bad relationship with your agent because 
you're thinking I played on a good team, good situation here, whatever, you know, it shouldn't matter if I scored 12 points or 20 points, get me another job. But for him, that's not how it works. And a lot of times, like also, agents don't all have the same pull. There's, there's different levels of age. Some guys are could just are so good at their job and have been in the game for so long, they could say, look, this is my guy. He's not very good, but I need you to take him. Okay, well, we've, we've done good business before and you gave me so much success in the past. I'll give you this one guy. Other guys could have a really good, talented guy, but because they don't have the same credibility, it's hard for them to market that talent because they don't have that, Right. So, yeah, so so definitely, there's definitely different aspects of the game that will make you hate it. Mm. Your teammates, you, you can play with a guy on a great team, but there's one guy who you know is just not passing the ball, he's going broke, he's playing for his next contract. That's He's, he's not playing for the win, he's playing for, play his, neck, playing for his next contract. So it's different. There's, there's a lot of aspects of the game that will make you hate the game once it goes into the, the money part of it. That's that's a really interesting point because, you know, I never played pro basketball and I always speak on NBA and pro sports when it comes to stats and winning. Right. There's always that 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 argument about, well, are the numbers more important or is the winning more important? But the way you touch on it, 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 it kind of sheds light on the numbers aspect where it says, you know, it's not at the end of the day, like they're they're just trying to like. Yes, there's levels to eating and, and getting fed and, and making money once you start making 20, 30 million a year. But still, at the end of the day, like th- that's a really difficult line to kind of straddle, whether it's like, do you want the team to win or do I want to make sure like I still have a foot, I still have a spot on the team or I'm still going to be in the game for another five years. Right. Um, so it makes me even question kind of some of how I think about certain players and, you know, okay. Um, how they go about their own game. But there's, there's, again, there's there's so many leagues in the world, though. But there, So there's definitely levels to it. So when you get to the NBA stuff or whatever, like, you know, obviously, a guy like a LeBron James, like, yeah. you know he's going to get X amount of shots. You know what I mean? You know, he, he makes more than the coach. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's a household name, a household brand. And to his credit, he's one of the best players to, to do it. Yeah. So you know some you know you know where he stands. Now the other guys around him now is 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 that's 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 the thing, right? You have to pretty much adjust your role to play with a guy like that. You have success you have a success as a team. Yeah, they may keep the team together because if he feels like okay, I can win with these guys, I'm gonna keep them. Again, overseas is overseas there's so many people like depending on the success of a team, like you have like you have the GM, you have coaches, you have this, whatever. You know, it, it may not be the same. So the players, everybody's fighting to eat. That's that's the bottom line. The coaches win. They either they get kept on to the end of the season and get their contracts renewed. Players get the numbers they want. Win or lose. Win or lose overseas. If your numbers are good, you'll always get another contract. Mm. Right? And that's the difference. So NBA, you know, you sign. And also, like, the multi-year, the multi-year contracts are not as common as they are in the, in, in the NBA or at the more elite leagues, right? Because, again, if you have the money to put a team together, keep a team together that's going to keep winning, that's fine. 
other other lower divisions, it's more like a trial and error where like you have to keep pieces moving to get to a point where you have success. And even in having success, you still have to keep pieces moving because you want to keep having success. And that's how you keep your team together. That's how coaches get their jobs. And obviously, it's a money thing. You're always going to go where the money is. Overseas is you're not going to stay in a league or on a team making pennies even though you're winning. You could go to a better – you could go to a, a crappier team in a better league for a bigger bank. Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 the marketing is completely different. It's, and, and, it's, yeah. Right, Tristan. I was just going to say that's, that's where the business side of the sport takes over. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of over overshadows your passion for the game. Right. Uh, Gary, I just wanted to, to quickly touch on uh, three years ago, I had the pleasure of uh, doing a feature of you on uh, Undressed in Jersey. Yeah. And in that, in that story, you, you, you talked about how you were always fascinated with airplanes growing up. Blah, 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 blah. Right, right, right. Through your life, you've been able to travel and fly all over the place. But kind of touching on what we just what we just discussed as you said I still love flying but for me ball was never life it was right. simply a means uh it was simply a means by which to navigate through life and I'm grateful to have had that opportunity right when when did you discover that ball was never life I guess that statement kind of holds two meanings like in a sense like in the moment when I'm playing ball is life but once I step off the court, there's there's so many other things to think about, right? Especially like, for example, like I said earlier about the university thing, you have to learn to manage your time as a, as a basketball player and also as a student athlete, right? So once I stepped off the court, especially my last year, I was going to go look at my look at my books because I had work to do. I had I have studying to do, I had articles to read, I had this to do, and I had deadlines to meet, right? And then, and, and then, um, so it was never like, if ball was life after the game, I'd probably be doing something basketball related. And also that's how I, that's how I came up. That's when my parents were big on education. They were big on school. My parents are not athletes. So like, they don't really understand like, you know, what it's like to be a student athlete. They don't care. It's not, they don't care. They care because I do it. But in a sense, it's not that important to them. The most important thing is for you to get an education you know, graduate and make something of yourself. So from that aspect, for me, ball was, it was never just about basketball because there's also an end for me beyond basketball. And I guess um, that was always in the back of my mind, but more so, again, once I went overseas and realized that I wasn't going to be playing basketball forever. I wasn't going to be filthy rich when I finished playing basketball so then I had to start thinking more proactively about what I wanted to do what direction my life life is going to go what's more valuable to me what's more important to me and how I was going to build so I, I guess maybe so later in my years I kind of truly accepted that ball was not life because I didn't I didn't per se get to a, a situation where I was going to be a millionaire and then retire off basketball that wasn't going to happen so I had to think beyond basketball at that point. Mm. <clears throat> I, I got a, I got three quick questions I want to touch on quickly if you still have time. Before yeah, yeah, we're good, man. We're good. Um, so one of them, one of them is, uh, I'm a big believer. Like the top of the food chain is that you, your, your foundation. You need a solid foundation. You need something that can is going to keep you grounded and 
and keep you up when you get knocked around by life, right? And um, I, I would say like everybody's foundation is different, you know, especially in, in the, the world we live in today with there's so many different things that people gravitate towards or use or believe in, you know, belief system. Um, just maybe talk about your foundation, what, what keeps you, what has kept you kind of, I don't know, sailing straight and, and on the right path to going up and being more successful. Um, Cause uh, you know, life, life isn't easy life, you know, especially like, like you said, immigrating from Jamaica, dealing with a, a society that, you know, we've talked about isn't, necessarily um helpful towards somebody of your color or hasn't been in the past and, and right. still still has lots of barriers talk about the foundation that's kind of kept you moving up and and not not getting knocked down and being like you know f this like i'm just gonna I'm gonna do whatever so that would definitely that would definitely be my parents and uh my brothers my older brother and i have often you know talked about this and uh if I had one word to de describe my parents would be like undefeated, they're unbeatable. And I say that because despite what challenges or anything they've come across or met in their life, they've never folded. There's always another way out. There's always another option. And they've always remained positive. I've never seen them like moaning and groaning and giving up or whimpering or anything like that. So I've always said that my parents are undefeated and that kind of inspires me as well as my brothers because, you know, when you have somebody in your corner that will has pretty much sacrifice everything to give you the best opportunity of life, you know, that has to be a, a vibrant example for you because, you know, if, 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 if they took what little they had and made something great for you or given you a great opportunity, now you have more resources at your hand, more opportunities at your hand. You know, how, how, how am I going to, going to, going to, going to fold and quit and give up? That, that's, that's not possible. And that'll be, and that ultimately is, you know, is, is, is me spitting on their efforts. So my parents have always been that foundation for me and my brothers. They laid that very clear. Um, anything, anything we do was inspired by their efforts and obviously their motivation. And also, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents are Christians. And they believe in, in in the teachings of the Bible 100%. There's a lot of uh, lessons in there that you know help you, you know, stay on track and things like that, which which I use to this day. And you know, those things have always helped us. So the foundation obviously has to start with them. They laid it out. You know, they're committed to it. They stood by it. They stand on it. And my brothers and I have uh, we gained, um, you know, gained a life for ourselves just by by following the instructions, staying true to what they they taught us. So definitely, my parents and and, and all that's the, what we had growing up in our household. That's the foundation for sure. That's a good answer. I, it's it's so interesting because when you talk about speak about that, it just it it really makes me think that like when we talk about the food chain or you know bottom and top, it, it's essentially they're they're allowing the way you're saying is like they're allowing saying like okay, listen like we don't see ourselves probably getting to the top based on so many barriers and challenges. But if we, if we can sustain ourselves here, this is going to allow you guys to jump across those, those you're, you're not even going to have to face the same stuff that we necessarily had to. So we're going to help propel you up the food chain so that, you know, when your kids are your age, 
they're going to be in an even better spot than you were when you were when when you know invite as it, as it continues and that's i think that's the challenge in 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 terms of life and and family and society and those are definitely some of the problems that are that are definitely uh, still existent in in north america for sure in terms of you know who starts where right is it, is it fair is it unfair and then it comes down to kind of kind of how you even answered the question about your your uh your thesis where you just, you just didn't you're, you weren't going to use an excuse to say like it just you know it maybe it was unfair a bit but at the end of the day like i i, I had to get this done i could have got this done right you know what i mean it's that it's that mentality of not take copping out or taking an easy way out like still understanding you know what's going on but also right. still pushing forward so that's a really i love that answer because I mean, you know me, um, like I said, foundation's huge and everybody has a different foundation. Um, right. I wouldn't say I'm necessarily religious. I do find a lot of really valuable lessons right. from what I've learned, my my limited knowledge of, yeah. Of, yeah. Of, the, of the Bible or, or the Christian faith. Um, and I think, I think people would be well um, versed to kind of at least learn or listen um, which I was, I was kind of put in that based on who I was, sur I surrounded myself with you and some of the football guys that I met with and I go to church. Right. But I think people are, can find value in, uh, in every way of, you know, other people's foundation You might find something from your right. foundation that somebody else isn't right. really, you know, right. um, next thing I want to ask you is, is about versatility. And like you touched on earlier, you were known your whole kind of X career as, a defender, like you know, you're a defender of the year, not AUS, and I think national, yeah, defender of the year, right? Um, but does that really get you far in pro like sports? Did you have to? I mean, I knew you as a, a you could shoot, you know what I mean? You had a nice shot, right? Strong, you could get to the hoop. Um, does versatility matter when it comes to climbing the food chain? Like, do you need to be able to, or can you just be a specialist and just get live off that? Both, 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 uh, both aspects are um, are important because I've seen specialists go on to have illustrious careers, you know, and that's the thing. Like, um, but also versatility, I think, gives you more more options and uh, potentially more. Uh, I'd say potentially more longevity. I guess when you look at a specialist, they have to be put in a situation where they're going to be successful with that one thing they bring to the table. So as long as that opportunity is always created for them, they're going to be successful. You're not going to take a specialist, for example, a three-point specialist, and say, you know what, now I need you to run the point, I need you to handle the ball, I need you to do this, do X, Y, Z. You're really taken away from what they're good at. And now you, what that one thing they may be good at may become less valuable because they're doing so many other things now. They can't just focus on doing that one thing. Um, being versatile also helps in the sense that there are more opportunities for you, more doors open for you. Obviously, in the AUS at St. Effects, my role was a lot different than what it was when I played national team or when I played professional. At X, you know, I was, I was needed for some scoring, but I wasn't the guy that they wanted to do scoring. I was a the guy they knew they could count on to go play against the team's top, stop, top perimeter scorer. That was my job, to stop that guy so that everybody else could do their job to help us to be successful. 
Now, when I went overseas, now, I was brought in as a true wing. My job there was to score. My job was to defend. My job was to rebound. Mm. I had to, but I, I had those intangibles already. It's just, you know, but now I was able to, to kind of flourish more as a scorer because that's what they expected from me. I could do that on top of the fact that I could defend and rebound. So those are three things I brought to the table that, that, that it helped me, it helped me to be successful, especially in my, um, my second stint overseas. The first one was a learning experience for me, for sure. I was playing with a lot, with, with a lot of older guys who have been in the game for years. So it was more of a year for me to learn from them and get better, which I did. And as I learned from them, that also helped me improve as well when I got to play again overseas. So, yeah, versatility is key. As long as, you know, you have the opportunity to be successful and likewise as a specialist, as long as you have the opportunities geared to your talent that you bring to the table, then for sure, for sure, you're just as valuable as a person. I think they're both valuable in their own, valuable in their own right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just depending on the situation. Yeah, true. I mean, I always just talk about it because in terms of, in terms of say, sports, um, for me, I always found the guys that were specialists only would usually struggle to, like you said, there's more opportunity for, for if you have more of a, more of a versatile toolbox, per se. Like you can do, if, if all you can do is defend, and at the end of the game, you guys are down four points with 30 seconds left. The, the coach is probably going to take you out of the game. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and, yeah. and as competitors, we're always like, man, you taking me out? Like, I just I just defended X player for the whole game, held him. Now you're going to take me out? And then you're not going to be able to sub me back in? Just things like that. But that being said, it takes work. It takes it takes hours, like you like you've uh, touched on before. Um, so I just wanted to get your take on that because my I, I don't know I believe that versatility when it comes to sports can really take your game to the next level if you're willing to put the work in and, and the hours in to the game because usually the guys at the top of the game um, are usually versatile. It's rare that you see like for sure like Steph Curry is a great shooter. He's a, he's a specialist three pointer, but he can do a lot more. You know what I mean? He's a great playmaker. Like in, in him and him and clay in terms of shooting are pretty much like, you know, most people are going to put them on the same. They're both specialists. They're both right around the same level, but Curry offensively, you know, does more. Yeah. And then, and then clay defensively does more than Curry. So they kind of, there's always been that argument for the two of them guys when they've been in the, the playoffs where it's like, well, Clay, Clay means more to this team because he defends the best player and he's still scoring, et cetera, et cetera. So it just kind of tied into my the talk I have about versatility um, and, and why it matters. But also you made a good point that if you're a specialist, that can also set you, uh, can, 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 can carry you a bit too. Yeah, for sure. Like, but just, to, just based on the points that you made though, again, I wanted to make this point. Some specialists are more desirable than others. Like for you know what I mean, and and some of them will have more opportunities than others. For example, you can always use a three-point shooter, right? A guy who only brings defense to the table. You need a little bit more in your toolbox than just being a defensive stopper. Yeah. You know how you like. For example, I think the the defensive specialists now have, have kind of evolved. You know, if you look at Bruce Bowen and moving forward into what they call a three and D guy. Yeah. So you got to be, you know, you could get stopped. That's great, but 
you need to be a threat somehow on the other on the other end of the ball. So you know, so, so yeah, yeah, exactly. So again, like if you if your only intangible is that you're a great defender, that's good for only certain aspects of the game, and that's where your your position now becomes situational. You know, you might be a situation where like the game's close and we need to get a stop, and then you get the stop, but you got to come out so the shooter comes in. Yeah. And as in, as opposed to if you are more versatile, you become the stopper and the shooter. You stay on the court. And and I th I think the same can be said for point guards that yeah. you know, the guys the guys that can run a team but can't but can't get a can't get a, a bucket when they the team needs it. So they'll bring yeah. in maybe a different guy that is a better scorer at the point level and stuff and and so forth. I think you see it more in football in terms of situational too. Like basketball, it happens, but Right. Yeah, yeah. It usually happens at the end of games. Yeah. Even still, that's usually when the heat of the moment is, and it kind of that for a player, like man, that's the worst. Like being subbed out because the coach is pretty much saying, "I got no faith in you." Yeah, to, that's, to that's, do... that's that's when you get back in the trenches, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's when you get back in the trenches and put the work in. Now you're now elevated. Now you start climbing the top of the food chain, right? Hey. Now you're putting your work in, and now you're putting yourself in the position to elevate yourself. But if if your only basis is going to be, I'm just going to accept my role as this, then you're becoming complacent and you're not really maximize whatever potential you have. So for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that kind of makes me wonder, like, um, I was, I was talking, I made a post the other day about, about guys I played with and, and guys that would complain a lot about time and, and shots and their spot on the food chain on the team and how coach looked at them. And when I played, you already knew, like when I like you, you mentioned me in the rookie class, but like people, people didn't really like consider me like the the Terrence, the T Bear, the Dwayne, the Alberto. They were kind of like looking at me like, okay, who's this guy that came with Bear from Halifax? I know he knows Tyler. I know he knows Bear, but even Coach said like you're a good team chemistry guy. Like guys like you, so we'll, we'll bring you along. Yeah, but then again, you look at the. The work ethic, and no disrespect to any of the other guys, you know, those those are guys, those are the fans. But you look at the work ethic, I think by your last two years, I think you had passed to some of those guys in terms of productivity yeah. based on the work that you continue to do. So and that's nothing that's nothing against uh any of them, like I said, it's the homies, but like some guys came in great, but with mediocre work ethics they became mediocre players mm. some guys came in great and had great work ethic and excelled and yeah. other guys came in maybe underestimated but worked their way up you know to be to show that you know low-key like like for example you're a steal you're a steal because like you said people thought this is bear's friend but by the end of it you became will silver yeah people, people acknowledged you as will silver based on the fact that you made that name for yourself mm -hmm. it's just it's always interesting to see, <clears throat> excuse me, people people in you know university sports and, and maybe your brother's seen it too in terms of probably it happens a lot more in in I would say American sports because it's such a bigger a bigger uh, field is that there's there's those guys that just expectations or things are going to be given to them you know and and you touch on complacency and stuff like that and and you touched on kind of being put on a pedestal and how, how if you don't stay grounded if you don't stay in the trenches like you said and you don't aren't consistent with your work 
people can pass you along the way easily. And, and, and once that momentum is, 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 is pushing and, and taking them past you, mm-hmm. it's really hard to catch up to somebody that's momentum is, is push, uh, pushing them forward. Um, I was, I was going to ask you kind of what kind of closing, closing up, you know, you started the, uh, the, the fitness, getting yourself back to kind of your, your playing day shape and feeling, feeling a little more about more normal to the Gary G, you know, that defensive stopper, that pro basketball player guy dunking on you, right. You know, intimidating you not to say you're not intimidating right now. <laughs> it's the beard. Scaring yeah. everybody on the bus. No, but uh, what, maybe talk about because we spoke on the phone maybe a few months ago right. about the difficulties that parents, former athletes, um, can face in terms of managing one, being an entrepreneur, you yeah. know, two, being being a husband to a wife, yeah, three, being a father, you know, four. Um, you talked on, on religion. You don't just throw that on the back burner. That takes time as well. And then being, sure. and then, and then being a family, being a role model to your brother, right? Who, who you put in work, and and to your older brother, maybe being uncle to to their kids. So, right? Maybe speak on how you maybe saw yourself at one point, and then what kind of made you be like, you know what? Like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna try to put more time back into myself. So, I mean, it's easy because. Those other things that I, I knew I was going to transition into, being a husband and father, you know, there had to be commitment. I had to commit to it, right? So that was not an issue. The only, the only thing, though, is that I thought that everything else, like the basketball part of it, the training part of it, I thought that would just stay the same, right? And that, that's, not, that's not what necessarily happens because... Because... What, <laughs> What happens though is um, when you start having children, like they require, they do require your time. They require to be actively present in their life. I'll give you an example. Like when I first, when I first got married, I thought, you know, yeah, okay, it's me and my wife. You know, I'm still gonna be able to hang with the homies. I'm still gonna go be able to go play ball and do this, whatever. It was cool for a little bit until, but it was cool, but at times it wasn't because. There's times where my wife wanted to like spend time with me, but I had already made plans to go play ball. So then that kind of creates like a little bit of friction, right? And then lie, lie. And and then when you have and then when you have when you have children, you now also have to plan according so that you know so that you meet their needs. I'll give you another example. Uh, my son. Was uh, there was a time once my son was sick. I think he was having a bout with asthma, and I was at the gym playing um, playing in a men's league game. Right, my wife had hit me, and I was supposed to go meet them at the hospital. I played the game, right? I finished the game, but then I, I went and I met them after. But you know, it was it was. I felt like a, an idiot. You know, in that moment, I felt like a, I felt like I was very selfish. I felt like an idiot because. You know, this is a, he was, he was a little guy, you know, so he, he, he definitely needed me to be there. And when I got there, you know, he was still so happy to see me that I felt like, you know, like after all that, you know what I'm saying? Like me thinking about myself, mm. he's thinking about me, right? 
So then after that, it was it became a thing for me. Like, you know, whenever I need to be present, like all the other extra stuff, the gym, this, that, you know, that has to be put on the back burner. And obviously with work and all that kind of stuff, like I started noticing like, you know, my breathing was different, getting a little fluffier around my midsection. You know, things, things, you know, you know, there's, there's things that you look at that you look in the mirror and you're like, yeah, you know, I'm the man, you know, but I was looking at it and be like, yo. <laughs> no, but that's, it's a good point because you, your, your, your job, essentially, you, you uh, are a transit official, essentially, or a, a driver. For, yeah, for yeah, yeah, I'm in transit so, right now. So yeah, I'm, I'm working as a transit operator. So you sit a lot of your day, right? A lot of times, yes. And that's the thing, though. I also, I also, I was also working nights. So you know, there's the get a little drowsy. There's a Timmy's right there. You pull over. You're not, you're not, you're not just getting the, you know, the double double. There's also like the, the donut. The <laughs> yeah, very easy. And then you find you find different ways to kind of like make your trip more comfortable as you're sitting around that wheel. So then. You know, you're getting the snacks ready so you could kind of like pick at it. But over <laughs> over time, like it really does take a toll because I'm going home. I'm pretty much sleeping in the day and I'm going back at it. Right. So I was really neglecting that part of my body. And then, you know, my body just felt different. My joints were I felt heavier. My joints were sore all the time and I was obviously not as flexible. So I made a commitment to really push and this this happened more so after my 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 third child my son was born my third child i really kind of was i did nothing the other times i did but this time i did nothing but the effects were greater i don't know if it's because i got i've gotten older or whatever but the effects were greater and it happened a lot faster so i made a conscious decision to to get back in it but the, what i was having trouble with in the past, based on the knowledge I had, it was okay because I wasn't off for that extended period of time. This time I was off for a longer period and I was having a hard time. I'd go to the gym, you know, struggle through a workout and then like hate it and then not go back for like until I feel like crappy again, which is like maybe another week, week and a half, two weeks, you know, but that was not doing it. I just couldn't find the motivation. So I kind of, I saw this ad on the internet with uh about uh you know was a package to help you get back get your new new year's resolution resolution rolling and it was a guy i played ball with in high school so i was like i reached out i did i wanted to go like back to the beginning learning how to do things properly like form technique mm -hmm. you know eating and all that kind of stuff so i went i reached out to him you know we did the assessment and we kind of started from like the bottom bottom it wasn't like okay let's put two uh 245s on a bench and let's rep it out you know we started doing things like you know like body <laughs> body weight push-ups you know lighter weight exercises to get the form and technique which is one thing i learned was that although i've gotten to a point where i could lift and do that at a you know with heavier weights my technique was terrible uh, it's funny just when you say that because remember remember koshi said he went down in the dungeon and saw gary just put up Put up 315 one day yeah yeah and he's like i need to get my weight up i need i got yeah. a basketball player so it's just funny you being like yeah i'm not gonna throw two 45s when you were doing three at one point yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You, that, you that, that's what i'm saying though like i was at at that point i was at the top at my top right in terms of like weight room performance but again you know it never really like i never at this at this point i couldn't just go back to that right 
And again, because I wasn't playing basketball, with playing ball now, you know, especially overseas, I was practicing twice a day. So my cardio was crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like my body was was crazy. But at this point, it wasn't. You know, I wasn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do that because I'd probably end up hurting myself. And again, with having children and all, you don't get to say, you know, sorry, kids, I'm hurt today, you know? So I kind of, I kind of have to take a different approach where I got, got back in the weight room, you know, started doing things right. And then, you know, hopefully it was going to transition into, um, it was going to transition into me training with other athletes who are at their peak in different sports to see how, how they got ready, how their preparation was and how, you know, they get themselves to perform at a high level. Mm. You know, that was what I was going to transition to. And that's why I needed to have, a better foundation because again I didn't want to just jump into those workouts as well you know ruin it for somebody else and end up hurting myself right so I also wanted to prepare myself that way that that must be a little bit difficult on the ego in a sense where you've come from such a high level of sports and athletic ability to accept being like okay I'm gonna do things that like you know people that are just starting in the gym are doing and being seen doing those things with like you know with somebody Mm-hmm. Right, right. And also, again, yes, there's the inspirational aspect because a lot of people, the toughest thing for them to do is to get started. So, you know, they might be looking looking at somebody. And again, you know, you see a lot of stuff on the Internet and social media where people are like super ripped and all they're showing you is the exercises that they're doing at the moment. You know, there's never you were never there for the process. So you don't know what the process is. Right. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to like show people that, okay, if you're having trouble, like especially guys that were in the position that I was in, if you're having trouble getting the confidence to go back in the gym, reach out to somebody who else who, who's maybe a professional at it, who's, that's their job, mm-hmm. or reach out to somebody who's been doing it so that they can help you get that feel back and then build on that. Have you noticed a change mentally, like when you're around your kids or like energy with, with your wife or with the home, like the family and stuff? The energy aspect was, was definitely the biggest change that I noticed was was that because I, I was always so sluggish. Mm-hmm. I always always needed the, I mean, still take the, the occasional afternoon nap because, <laughs> you know, come on, it's the, great, it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> ah, I love to hear it. Will's, Will's the biggest hater when, I, when I'm like, yo, I'm taking a nap. He's like... I just can't. I can't. I never have. Yeah, I know. But that's the thing, though. My wife is the same way. Like, if she takes a nap, she's done. Right. So, but for me, like, if I don't take a nap, I'm done. But yeah, but the thing, though, like, with the training and stuff, what it did, though, it did increase my energy level where, like, you know, like, rather than um, taking that afternoon, I'll be able to push through longer during the course of the day and maybe till till it was time to go to bed or whatever. And there's times where I even were able to go to work and, and do my do my job and not have an issue as opposed to if I didn't, I'd have to get a coffee. And that's the other thing, right? I'd have to get a coffee because I needed that extra push to make it through other. But once I started working out, the energy was already there. Yeah. I love hearing that. It's, that's a, it's a factor that a lot of people don't consider because everybody wants that aesthetic factor. Everybody thinks about. For sure. That's it. That's it. Which is great, but there's so many other beneficial factors that come with it. The endurance, the energy, especially for a family man like that's having three kids that's that's a huge you need endurance you need energy yeah and definitely like just the overall just the overall feel not necessarily like yeah the look is great you know it, it, 
the look is the look is great. <laughs> Let's not play around here. But but the but the overall feel, like you know, when you look back and say, you know, for example, wow, I completed that workout. I didn't think I had it in me. You know, then you're kind of like, what else do I have in me? Let's go. Give me more. Let me see what's. Uh, up. I mean, so there's always that motivational factor as well coming from you know completing a task or doing a drill or doing an exercise that you probably doubted you could do. And now you realize that you really have that in you and you have more in you. So that kind of inspires you more to like, well, to do more or look to do more. 100%. 100%. You're preaching. Um, yeah. I got, I think, Tristan, do you have anything before our last question? Okay, I got one more. And then Tristan's going to fire our last question off at you. My last question essentially is kind of tied to your brother a little bit because um, – I mean, this this whole podcast mainly about you because that's that's who I've known most of my life with with uh, right. the Gilmore's. Um I met your brother briefly, I think, in an Ottawa tournament. And he was like 11 or 12. He was like six two, two twenty. Yeah. Then, like, I was like, I was a 21 year old or looking at this guy, like, man, this guy making me look like I'm like 13 year old child right now. What's going on? Um, <laughs> but but you, I remember speaking to you, and you invested quite a bit in terms of. Um, you know, they're a little bit financially, but also just a lot mentally into like kind of helping kind of say groom him, but like pu push him in a right direction with knowing kind of like potentially what he'd be capable of. Right. Um, and recently he, he was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys, which, by the way, is my roommate's favorite team. And <laughs> I'm probably never going to hear the end of it. Um at all i was actually i was low-key happy because now it's definitely going to be a topic between him like my, my household and stuff but it's also one of those things where it's like if, if he's playing well and my team's not playing well i gotta i gotta listen yeah, to this but that being said um can you just touch on like maybe the feelings of a little bit of satisfaction in terms of like you know what everything kind of i did was for a purpose like it didn't go wasted and how Right. sometimes helping helping people out whether it's family whether it's your brother or not um how, how important it can be to somebody's success not saying you're the the reason for a success but just kind of the feelings of being like you know what what i did was right it worked um i feel good so yeah so going back like so the way like my brothers and i came up especially i've always i've always said this my parents and my older brother made life absolutely easy for me. They did everything for me and gave me everything I needed to do to be successful. So that's kind of how we came up. Um, for example, my older brother, he played basketball, but there's a time where he kind of stepped aside. Things to make sure that I got what I needed to get to be successful. For, for example, um, you know, he would get a summer job. So, I, well, he had it. He'd get a summer job to help me pay for stuff like trips, shoes, gear, whatever, you know, to, to make sure that I had those opportunities. Uh, so when it came time for, for Neville's, Neville's turn, that was that was an easy decision as long as he had a plan, right? So we had to, as a family, we sat, we, he came to me and he was like, you know, he was basically telling me that he doesn't want to play basketball, right? <laughs> so that's, that's the initial conversation because the whole time, I've been grooming him to be a basketball player. Like, you know, this is what you need to do to be better than me. This is what, you know, this is what people are going to expect from you. But, you know, 
don't make these mistakes, don't do this, whatever, do this, and you'll, you'll go further than me. But you got to a point where he's like, yo, bro, that's good and all, but like, I don't really love basketball like you do. No, I did it because you did it, and, and, and my older brother did it, but you know, for me, football is my love, and you know, this is this is where I want to go with with my football. You know, at the time he had met the coach that was running the prep program, and they have reached out, and he said, you know, this is what needs to happen. But the the thing is, you know, it's going to cost money. So, you know, we sat down as a family, and basically told him like, we're going to make this happen for you, but don't know it. Like, don't waste our time. Don't waste our money. And we also gave him a deadline. We said, you know, if by X, Y, Z, you don't have, like, you're not obviously the potential, you're not maximizing your potential, or your grades are slipping or that, you're coming back home and you're going to go to, like, one of the local high schools and, and, and we're going to, like, really push you to, like, get graduate and, and go to university like the football thing is cool but we weren't really thinking like that but then he got there and obviously you know it, it just he just took off like you know he, he he got he got there he planned stuff out with the coach they sat down they made a plan weight room whatever training and all that kind of stuff and he just started like you know putting the weight on started being more successful and now eventually the school started calling and then so like at that point kind of realized that he was the satisfaction came more from the fact that you know he took what he was doing seriously yeah. and then obviously to reach the, the the point where he is now the satisfaction for me is that um, I'm super happy for my parents because now they get to see that you know all the work that they did and everything they put into their three sons you know it's, it's sometimes it's cool like one guy may not make it one but you know here my parents are fortunate to have three sons go to university, graduate university. You know, my brother has his family, has his own life. I, I have my family, I have my own life. And here's Neville doing something like remarkable and getting ready to set, him, set himself set himself up on another level. So I'm happy that they can kind of like, they will never take a break from parenting. I'll tell you that. Cause you know, like I still get told how to dress for the weather and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So they'll never, they'll, they'll never take a break from parenting but they can relax in the fact that, you know, they, you know, they don't have to like mourn a lost son or relax in the fact that, you know, they don't have to like, you know, hang their head in shame because of something we did, you know, in terms of, like, you know, disrespecting the efforts that they made. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> or, or even, yeah, you said it best. Um, yeah. That's, that's super exciting. It's, it's really it's going to be neat. It's funny because my roommate's like, well, like, do you know much about him? Like, does he have, like, what's his work ethic like? I'm like, I'm thinking, like, bro, like, he, he came from Canada and made the NFL, got picked in the top 100 players. Like, if, if, if he doesn't have work ethic, like, I'm, I don't, I, I don't know what, what, what kind of question that is, right? And, and I'm yeah. like, if anything, I know Gary, I yeah. know Gary wouldn't, wouldn't be watching his brother who's trying to go, go, play university in the states let alone canada and not not put in work right but right. also if you if you look at him like realistically i guess by nfl standards he's kind of undersized for his position right mm -hmm. if you watch him when he lines up against like other teams especially in the ncaa 
who is always double teamed or triple teamed. You don't do that for somebody who you don't believe is, is, a, is a workhorse. Right, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, he's he's definitely, I mean, a lot of people saw me and think that my work was crazy. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you 100%. Like he he's he's taken anything I've done in terms of work ethic and probably tripled it, and that's why you're seeing the results you see because he's definitely he's, he's got a crazy crazy motor, and you know he's and also he's smarter in a sense like in a sense that he also reaches out to get the help he needs to be better. Mm. I kind of stayed in my own shell and like. You know, if I can't do it, nobody can, which is kind of dumb. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, a, I, I mean, it's, it's cool. It's tough. It's good. Yeah, I'm a tough guy. Ah, yeah, if I can't do it, yeah, 50 cents. myself. But the bottom line is now sometimes you really do need to reach out to other people who, who can then complement your work and contribute to you and help you elevate yourself and grow better. And that's, that's one thing I was never good at was using those relationships for myself. I always felt like I'm going to do it myself. And I think I, I credit him for that as well because he's, he's found ways to keep getting better. Right. That's, I'm, I'm super excited. We always talk about, you know, when you climb the food chain, there's different food chains, right? And, and he's kind of climbed to the top in the prep and then he restarted back at the bottom and uh, when he was at Oklahoma. And that was even crazy in itself when, you, when he first went there. We talked about it a bit. And then to watch him climb to the top to this past year where we're watching him on TV, he's forcing fumbles. Right. I'm seeing him get hurt. You're kind of worried a bit about him. And it's, and, and then we talk to you, he's like, Oh, he's fine. Like he's, he knows what he needs to do. And he gets to, and he, now he's restarting his work again. And it just makes you think like, yo, this guy is deemed to be successful based on right. kind of every level he's climbed to the top and then he's gone back down and he's climbed back up. Right. Because like you said, there's levels and it's, um, it's really exciting to see that for him and also for you, knowing you as a, as a, as a friend and former teammate to see like, you know, your passion, your work ethic, which was instilled, like you said, by your parents, see, see it kind of transfer over to a younger kind of maybe younger version of yourself, fit bigger than you, maybe a little more top of the food chain than, than you. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's all good. No, it's all good, man. Also like just, just another point to that. Like when he got to Oklahoma, I think it was something like, 350 pounds, right? He was, so, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he was yeah. And then when he left, he was 306. You don't, it's it's tough. I, I found it tough to lose one pound. Yeah. 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 So, like, to lose that amount of weight to make sure you're able to perform, like, and now he's telling me, like, he's gotten, he's working out with, uh, what's the guy's name, man? Some trainer that, is it Ronnie Coleman or whatever? What's his he, name? Ronnie Coleman's a body uh, bodybuilder. Yeah, that, that Mr. American uh, guy. Like, like, so no. he, he said he's working out with like uh, I think either a nutritionist or a trainer that worked with him. Okay. And he's like, yeah, she's gonna help me like really get my body right because he was like, yo, you never seen a 300 pound guy with like with like crazy abs. You're about to see it. So like you, that kind of tells you like the frame of mind that he's in. So he's not just, he's not just out here like I made it. You know, I'm just gonna show up and whatever. He's he's always looking for ways to be better and improve himself. So, and like I said, he always goes and find resources or, or connect with people to help him reach those reach reach the top of the food chain if you want. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 important to be able to kind of push yourself past the the points where other people seem to kind of get stuck or or feel right. feel themselves too much, right? 
that's really that's that's hype. I'm I'm excited to see. You know, I mean, he it was exciting to see him break that record, right? So right. you already know, like, it's just gonna be really exciting. Um, For sure, man. Sure, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Gary, short and sweet, just to end it uh, end it off here. Um, this is TOTFC podcast, so we always ask the guests, right? Uh, what does top of the food chain mean to you, and how uh, how does it apply to your everyday life? Uh, for me, top of the food chain just means um, leveling up, if you may, and um, you know, using my resources to maximize my potential. Mm. So to always, how my how I'm doing that is, you know, I'm always trying to find ways to to get better. Whether you know, like I said, with uh, getting myself back in shape, I went and got work started working out with a personal trainer and that kind of stuff, and also you know, learning different, learning to use different tools, whether it be social media, different apps and stuff to kind of like, you know, boost my, boost my, uh, you know, the Trench Life brand and, and contribute to it that way. Um, also, just, just always find ways to do good work to, to contribute to myself as well as contribute to others. So I think, I think that that's what top of the food chain really means is working to improve yourself while impacting other people's lives. And hits it on the nail exactly what we talked about take taking people up the food chain because nobody wants to you don't want to be at the top by yourself you know right right exactly man um, i mean they say it gets lonely at the top right but you know it's obviously <laughs> it was obviously it's obviously it would be cool to have you know have people come along with you and i think that that's cool man to have you know like-minded people with you on a journey that you're passionate about that's also key you, not everybody's gonna make it up there with you not everybody's gonna <clears throat> want to be up there when you're up there yeah that's the fact but you know not everybody's going to want to go through the trenches with you or, or do the work that you're doing to get there but once you get there they're going to expect you to kind of like stretch your hand out and pull them up when really you're telling them yo let's hold hands together and let's let's climb that together you know which is which is which is which is which is more valuable to both of us because you're going to learn along the way you're yeah. going to get stronger along the way you're going to get better along the way and in that sense we kind of we're pouring into each other as opposed to me up here pulling you down, you know, you've already eaten all the everything in the fridge and you're mad heavy. So in a, in a sense, you're pulling me off the top of the food chain. <laughs> That's right. That's actually a crazy analogy for life and society. The way yeah. you just, if you think about it. Yeah. Because that's kind of how the his, his, historically what society's done in a sense right. is push people. We're going to eat everything and, and act like, yo, it's so easy to get here. Right. But, but we're not going to help you when, and where you're saying, no, you, you climb together. Yeah. Because it's more powerful that way. 100% because, you know, a lot of you, everybody's learning. Everybody gets to learn that way. Right. For example, you and Tristan climbing together. Now, Tristan has the knowledge and resources that you have that now he could branch out and do something here to build somebody up or build a bunch of people up while you're doing that over there and can still pull it all together. As opposed to, you know, him always, yo, Will, can you come show this person how to do this? Or Tristan, can you come show this person how to do this? You guys have already groomed yourself together to be able to spread that out a little bit. Oh, absolutely. I've all, I've already seen immense amount of improvements in the gym right. just, just by training with this guy every day and seeing how he pushes himself. Right. Actually, it's just pushing me further and further to try to keep up with him, right? So. Right. It all ties together. Gary, I, I just want to say uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on here, get to know your life story. And everything that you just finished on is 
uh, is very apparent in uh, your life, your family's life, and how you just operate as a human being. So I just want to say thank you for that. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say, I just want to ask, what's the next hottest trench life item coming out, and how can people um, get it? Because I, I have some of your stuff, and the quality is amazing. Right. Great. Right. So um, we're gonna be doing like a. Not a, a bit of like doing some facelift on uh, on our stuff within the next couple coming months. Um, obviously, to make it more accessible to people, to make it more appealing to people. I think, like I said in the in the, in the earlier earlier session, was that you know I may have good quality, but people don't know that, and you know they won't know that until they have access to it. So, you know what we're doing, we're doing some uh, some facelift stuff, or we're going to be doing some face look for that. Okay. But we also. We're putting some uh, some lines together. Shout outs to Neville because even though he's like big time now, like he's really like he's really like you know like let, like get me your stuff so I could you know so people could see me rocking it. So we're kind of like gearing some stuff specific to his success and where he's at, nice so one. that you know, people will see that and maybe you know bring more more sure. towards the brand. So he's gonna let us use his likeness as much as he can, obviously with awesome. contractual limitations. Yeah. So that's going to be cool too. So that's the whole plan. Uh, the hottest items, probably some summer lifestyle pieces is what we're leaning towards. Okay. I feel like lifestyle is cool, especially versatile pieces that people can, can rock when they're just cooling or stuff they could work out. And so we're kind of trying to go that route as opposed to not everybody wants to wear a workout shirt all day. You know, and also again, that's a trial and everything. Like, you know, you want to do some things, but in order to reach, a larger, larger yeah. graphic. You have to kind of be more versatile in what you give to people. So that's what we're working on: the versatility, some summer, some summer um, lifestyle pieces, and then we're going to build on that. As long, as long as we get to use Neville's likeness, so we're <laughs> going to take advantage of that right now before right. like big dogs start calling. Good. Yeah. I feel you. So is there there is a website, or are you guys waiting? Yeah, for yeah, yeah. A little bit? So yeah, there's the website is still active with the pieces that are there, www.trenchlifeapparel.com. Also, uh, you can catch us on Instagram at trenchlifeapparel.com. Uh, sorry, at trenchlifeapparel. And uh, for me, it's just at Gary Gallimore on on um, on Instagram. But again, um, the social media page might look a little confusing because the whole Neville hype thing. You know, a lot of it is based was based on him getting drafted and. Of course kind of pushing that up so like i said we're going to be doing like once we get the products completed filmed and and photographed then we'll start putting that stuff but for now we're just we're just riding another wave because he's a part of it as well he's he's, he's a part of it so it makes sense to kind of like build on what he's doing because right. yeah so it, it makes sense 100 um i just want to say last thing if if you live in ottawa and the bus driver left early was probably this guy. <laughs> no, I just, I just want to. I, I really want to thank you for coming on. Um, yeah. You know, uh, to take time out of your busy day and and your life and talk talk about some important issues and and catch up a little bit. It's it's nice. It's always great to talk to you, especially in person. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's, it, me and you, me and just just for the record, like me and Frosty have gotten to some like really heated debates, and I think 
one of the big part of it was that, you know, and even I call him after and kind of like the conversation went differently. Right. But when you're just there, like clicking away, like, you know, things get like. It's easy to get. Yeah. Misunderstood. And, you know, again, Frosty's, you know, he's always been, you've always been a, a good dude to me, you know, good friend, roommate, teammate, all that kind of stuff. So that's never, that's never taken for granted. You know, despite, and that's why, that's why, like, a lot of times I have to, like, hold myself accountable in the way I treat my friends. You know, like I said, I have a strong personality. And, like, you know, once I get, like, the blinders on, like, it's just about proving the point. But, you know, you, you kind of grow up and start maturing and understand, like, you have to learn to communicate. And also, those are things that help me in my day-to-day life. Communication, you know, learn to communicate. You communicate with people without, you know, without making it just about yourself. So, yeah. And, and everybody, like, no one's immune to that. We all go through those right, things. Right. We, all, we all do that. So um, I just, yeah, thank you. Love love the talk. Love yeah. the uh, perspectives right. of everything. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, kind of the facelift and see what goes on. And right, right. For sure. If, if Buffalo plays Dallas, you know, Buffalo, the Bills got to get that W. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. Did Buffalo, did Buffalo pass on my bro? He did. They did. They yeah. did. Well, I guess they, picked, they, they picked the D lines in their first pick, so I knew like after that, I was like, "Where do we not, There's no way they're taking two D linemen right away." Exactly, and that's that was kind of the case. Like we saw him go in the third round, but there was three teams that were supposed to, that said they're going to take him in the first round, pending the draft when as planned. So I think, uh, was it uh, the, the 49ers were, were saying they were going to take him, depending if that guy, Kinlaw, the first guy they picked yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And he's a beast. So if he wasn't on the board, he wasn't expected to be on the board at that point. So if he wasn't, uh, they would have went for my bro. The Titans promised, and uh, as well as the Seahawks promised. But again, when you see a guy like his teammate, C.D. Lamb, who was supposed to be a top 10 pick, yeah. like more so late, late teens, 17, I think, you know, you kind of know the draft is kind of going. But then Dallas got a steal for sure because a lot of teams ended up passing on a good pick in the second round as well. I, I think there's just a miss. There's definitely a misconception, like, when people are – when I'm talking to people and I'm telling them about the draft and they're like, well, you know, what round is – what round do you go? And you say third. They can they think NBA. They think these other – these other like, man, there's, like, there's 24 positions on a team that are starters, right? So right. When you consider that, and mm. then you say he was the 82nd pick, right. you think like, okay, he's essentially like, think of how many he's a top. You're essentially saying he's a top three at his position in the draft when you're picked right. in, the, in the top 80 or 75, right? So, right, right. It's just like one of those things that like, yo, like it's this isn't the NBA where like your your second round picks are kind of like they might not even be on the roster after a year, right. like that. You're expected to be there. You're expected exactly. To be there. Yeah, it's, it's it's different. There's seven rounds in the NFL draft. Yeah, and top 100 is extremely impressive. Yeah, exactly. And, so he's he's in a good position. I think he went to where he, he he's he's going to be successful because he loves he loves Dallas. His management team is in Dallas. He's been training in Dallas since January. So like, it was it couldn't have been a more ideal position. And I see the big truck too, so he's he's definitely gonna fit in yeah. down there too. Down there, Texas, everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> That's right. Happy for him. All right. All right, all right bro. Appreciate Tristan, it, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Love, Thank all right, bro.